Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gays. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows, while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. I'm your other host, Charles Rogers, and I've seen more bare asses this week than I have in a long time. (laughs) Thank you, Bradley. Hello there. Uh, Bradley has been watching Elite on Netflix, which is a Spanish how to get away with murder is show and <laughs> they fuck so much on that show i know isn't it glorious so much so much now I, I, as far as i am in the episode um the two men have not fucked yet oh, okay. it has well, mostly been straight fucking but i have been told by the trailer for season five that played when i hovered my mouse over it uh, the, the men, the hot men will fuck at some point in the show. At some point, sure, yeah. Okay, I'm trusting you here, Bradley. I don't want you to leave <laughs> You have to trust the, process. trust the process. Trust the process. I will trust the process. <laughs> I mean, How to Get Away with Murder does have it beat on that count. A guy does get his ass eaten in the first 20 minutes of the pilot episode. True. I, I will say that this show does kind of take similar notes from how do we get away with murder, but they don't do the shock value too much in the beginning because it's a different kind of format. Obviously it's not daytime television versus, or not daytime, uh, primetime television versus, you know, streaming. They don't, they give you all the episodes at once. So they don't necessarily need to lock you in, you know, join us for our new podcast on elite (laughs) called elite gaze. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's a great name, but because that's like the gaze you hate. So it's like, are are we not the gays that everyone hates? I don't know. Maybe. Are we not? <laughs> Look, it's either us or uh, Chris from Dark Side Divas. It's somebody. It's one of us that has the the claim to that moniker. So uh, I have a list of some things that we fucked up. We have multiple <laughs> things that were fucked up that I have Great. to address before we get no news. Right. Uh, the first item on my list is actually interesting because it's not a thing that Charles fucked up. It's a thing that Bradley fucked up. What? I did not. Really? The, these things? Well, here's the thing. I disagree. Peek behind the curtain, listeners. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, my headphone cable snapped. I It was the day that I recorded the Divas Unleashed episode. And I had to run out to the store after work. And real fast, buy the cheapest aux cable I could get my hands on to record that episode. And I've just never gone back to get a proper one. And the issue is sometimes it slips out. And I think that what this is, was this was an instance of Bradley said something wrong, but my headphone cord had slipped out and I was adjusting it. So I didn't hear him say it. So Bradley, on the last episode, when we were talking about reading Orabesh, uh-huh. and you said, well, they're not really reading. They're just interpreting the symbols, which that's what reading is, by the way. Uh, I, I need to get on to you about that because it's, I understand you're new to reading and being able to read, but that's literally what reading is. <laughs> He's rolling his eyes. But you you said that there's no paper in Star Wars. Yeah, it's a joke. And it's not technically true, Brad. Right, it's a joke. The joke is that there's no paper in Star Wars because they all use screens and shit. We know there's books in fucking The Last Jedi. I mean, I, I know that. Well, I was going to use this to talk about one of my favorite moments from uh, the High Republic, <laughs> which is where a char- I think it's the High Republic, where a character like handwrites a note to someone 
and leaves it like they leave like like a post-it note Mm. and people get real confused for a second because they're like did they actually write that right it's not like Like a handwriting droid or something (laughs) so i would have jumped on that but unfortunately i didn't hear it well that's a technicality because i was joking it's a technicality Uh everything that comes out of your mouth is a joke bradley right exactly you are a joke A genuine actual thing Charles fucked up, which was pointed to us out by uh, listener Matthew, who I got to meet at Star Wars Celebration. I did call an episode, I think it was three. I did accidentally call the AI voice software Respoiler. It is Respeecher is the name of the software. So I, I stand corrected on that. Thank you, Matthew, for pointing that out. A note that I realized when i was listening back so i don't listen to other podcasts covering episodes until we have listened until we have recorded ours right uh, because i don't want to just regurgitate points really funny because a lot of the podcasts i listen to say very similar things to me i interpreted tala's notches on her holster as like being battles she survives literally everyone else pointed out that they are people she has saved oh, okay which makes me love her more, but is also a thing that I fucked up. That was your interpretation. That was my interpretation. My interpretation was not what the text intended me to do. Uh, <laughs> so I have changed that. Two more things before we dive into the Obi-Wan Kenobi episode. Okay. The lightsabers in the box. I did see an article online after I put we posted that TikTok. Which animated TikToks are back, by the way. If you're not following our TikTok at Gold Squadron Gaze, you should be. But after that TikTok, I did go and Google and see if we've seen those lightsabers before. I did find an article claiming that those are lightsabers that are made from like the bits you can do in Fallen Order. Like you can customize your lightsaber. I'm not sure I believe that. Yeah. Because the bits you can customize in Fallen Order are the stuff you can get at Galaxy's Edge. That's what I was going to say. And those that was my joke that like I made. Galaxy's Edge <laughs> lightsabers to me. I was about to be like, was Bradley right? Yeah, no, I jokingly said that. Like, that you wasn't jokingly like said yeah. that. And then there was this article claiming indirectly that you were right. But I looked at them. I'm like, I don't buy that. Yeah, I, I want people to know that like, okay, just because the set people are like, oh shit, I have to make like lightsabers for this scene. They're not going to be lazy and go to Galaxy's Edge and just buy a couple and then just set them down on the set. Like they're going to well, make their own. Like Some of them have the same gold and silver like color scheme as the lightsabers right. you can get at Galaxy's Edge, but they don't look like those and thus gotcha. don't look like the ones that you can build. There's one that kind of looks like Cal's lightsaber. It, they're just random lightsabers. Finally, I was Googling Deborah Chow because I wanted a, a image of her for the other TikTok we posted this week. And I found something interesting that we didn't address. So Deborah Chow has directed two things in 2022. And one of them was Obi-Wan Kenobi. The other one was the music video short for the Red Hot Chili Peppers' Black Summer. She directed a Red Hot Chili Peppers music video. Okay. Lee, the guy who plays the, the kidnapper in the first two episodes. Oh, who's from the Red Hot the Chili Peppers. the basis in Red Hot Chili Peppers. So her only other thing that she directed in 2022 besides Obi-Wan Kenobi was a music video for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. 
Oh, that's funny. I just thought that was super hilarious. It's a weird I, connection, but okay. Yeah. I ran across that and I was like, damn, I need to bring this up because she's directed Flea in two things this year. <laughs> that's hilarious. All right. That's our long list of things we've, we fucked up. Uh, okay, and also cool. other fun facts I found while researching. Let's go into the episode. All right. This week we're talking about episode six, part six, the finale. This week, Obi-Wan is drawn into a confrontation with Vader as Luke's fate hangs in the balance. Charles, what is one thing you liked about this episode and one thing you did not? And you have to give me one thing you did not because you didn't. <laughs> Don't do worry. Last week. I thought, look, I thought very hard for the past two days about a thing that I did not like that I could. So I do have a thing. Okay. One thing that I liked. Just one. Just one. (laughs) I liked, in particular, the conclusion of Reva's story arc. And we'll get to why when we get to that conclusion. But I did feel like I was worried she was going to get killed by Owen, as set up in the first episode. The whole, I shoot vermin on my farm, which would have been an issue. One, because it just wouldn't have been that good of an ending for her character. Right. Uh, it would have been way too similar to what happened to Maul in Tatooine. Mm-hmm. Having the characters that die in the show almost exclusively be women of color would have been an issue. However, they did not go that route. And thank God they didn't. What they came up with was so much better. And I was so satisfied with it. Okay. So of all the bits of the landing that they stuck, that was going to be the trickiest one to stick. And they definitely hit that mark. Uh, On that note, the thing that I disliked, Roken, Haja, Reva to a certain extent, just kind of vanished from the story. And I would have liked some, I get that the multiple endings was about like Obi-Wan and tying off everything with his arc, his various arcs that he's on. But I would have liked some indication as to what was next for those side characters we leave Roken and his people just sort of escaping. Haja gets Leia back to Alderaan, obviously. Uh, and we end with like Reva being like, oh, I could do anything I want. I would have liked to have seen some indication of what those things were. But on the other hand, I do accept that it's already a 50 minute episode. Yeah. And there's not much. We gotta wrap been. all the Obi-Wan stuff up. I will say on that note of stuff that, yeah, like the wrapping up their storylines, I would have said maybe have like a scene. You could even done a scene with Haja delivering Leia, just a quick one where, you know, Jimmy Smith is like, hey, I have this uh, secret thing going on later on in a couple of years that I need you to help out with. Maybe an or, Andor, you know what I or mean? Or like- <laughs> better, better. And you will get this reference. He kind of pulls Roken aside and he's like, you did really good work. Let me introduce you to Fulcrum. Mm, there you go. Like even some indication of what, what happened to them after would have been nice. Was it necessary? No, but it would have been nice because I right. had gotten attached to these characters. What about you, Bradley? One thing you liked and one thing you did not. Um, one thing I liked, uh, I don't want to go too into it until we get to it, but I really liked the callback to, well, it's not necessarily a callback, but it's kind of a, similar poetry thing where when Obi-Wan slashes Vader's mask, it's a, the opposite of when Ahsoka slashes his mask. It's on the opposite side. So it's, he slashed the left side, Ahsoka slashed his right side. And it's very similar in their fight 
Oh, um, we'll get to all the symbolism in that scene. I have like right. five so, for 30 seconds of screen time. So I don't want to talk about it too much, but that was one of my favorite things from the episode. Like that just was chef's kiss. Like one of the parts, like you were waiting for something to happen. And that was the thing you were waiting for this whole entire show. And so I loved it. Um, The one thing I did not like about the episode <laughs> was it was too dark. As a whole, the episode takes place at night. I get it for the fight between... Obi-Wan and Anakin because you got to have the blue and the red you know it looks pretty it just god you cannot watch this show during the day like you gotta watch it at night it is too dark and I don't understand why tv shows we have not fixed this problem to where you can watch something at night on a show or a movie and it's just too dark to watch in your living room or something I don't understand that's a technology issue I don't think it's a lighting issue with the show I think it's genuinely like a just a technology issue like we just can't watch dark things on our tv you we could have seen yeah because I saw like some high quality images and stuff that showed like the confrontation with Reba and Owen and Baru a lot better yeah like it was a lot clearer it was clearly still night but it was a lot clearer I don't know what was going on with the it was probably like maybe the color correction and saturation of these episodes yeah I don't something, know what it is yeah something in there they turned a dial too much right it and was you very could tell like, what was going yeah. on Right. It was so really too dark. The details. Right, right, right. I, that's just, again, that's like a nitpicky thing. Like, I just felt like this episode was like just super dark for some reason and not in the emotional dark way. <laughs> it's just the lighting dark way. But yeah, that's that's what I didn't know. Okay. Go ahead and take us in. Uh, um, I am going to preface with my little summaries uh, for okay, everybody. Yep. Because we are going to do things a little bit differently this time. Right. Because I want to focus on these scenes and I don't want to worry too much about doing them in like the exact order so if you listen to my little summary and you're like wait a minute owen confronted reva after that thing that happened i know i know i watched the episode i'm not stupid i just had to order it this way so that we could keep all of our ideas together so that we don't miss anything because there was a lot going on in this episode and we don't want to skip over dumb stuff just because I had to figure out a cute way to like summarize the scene. There is a section in particular and we will get to it where they jump back and forth between two events that are occurring that are thematically resonant i.e. they are communicating the same idea and there's a reason that the filmmakers chose to cut back and forth between them. However, trying to summarize the episode in a way that facilitates good podcast discussion, especially since we're both idiots, right. was going to be difficult. So yeah. So I, I just wanted to warn people, bear be that prepared. In mind. Be we're prepared going a little out of order. We'll talk about like Tatooine stuff by itself. And even though it cuts back and forth between Tatooine and Rocky Moon Planet or whatever this thing is called. That is Jabin. That is still Jabin. Oh, it is? They don't identify it as such. Uh, however, if you look at the shot of the sh- when they're approaching the planet, the multiple shots, it's very mm-hmm. clearly he went back to Jabin. Okay, well, when I say meanwhile on a rocky planet, you guys know what I mean. And I mean Jabin. I'm not going to fix it, but there you go. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to fix it. The moral of your fucking... <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Editing ethos. All right, let's... That. that requires work. All right, let's get into it. Our story begins in Moss Eisley as Reva seeks info on Owen Lars. Owen is tipped off that Reva is coming for Luke, and Baru convinces them to stand their ground on the farm. Reva in the opening scene is wearing uh, what I call the Star Wars hood. 
<laughs> She's I, wearing Rex's the, like it's hood. The hood the in yeah. a, well, it's the hood in a very specific style. Sidious uses it. Mm-hmm. Rex uses it. Yep. Anytime somebody wants to hide their face uh, without really hiding their face. And a particular character uses the Star Wars hood. I'm not going to bring them up yet because we'll get to it. But I do want to note here that that she is using the, the quote unquote Star Wars hood. I liked it. And I was worried because I actually I wasn't worried. I, I kind of saw this coming and she does this thing in her acting, especially her body work, you know, kind of like what she's doing body language wise, where she's clearly doing like the Kylo is bleeding out thing where she's like hitting her wound so that she kind of keeps her uh, adrenaline, adrenaline going, going so that she can keep going on. And she does this throughout the episode where she's not hitting herself, but she's very clearly like trying to stay alive. And again, revenge keeps does good for the body. So it's very much keeping her alive right now. Yeah. It's a little unclear from the show. If, if she wants to kill Luke, to get revenge on Anakin because she's figured out that that Luke is Anakin's kid. Uh, as we discussed last time, it was a little unclear or she wants to kill him to get like revenge on Obi-Wan. Later dialogue will imply that it's it's Anakin she wants to get revenge on, but it's a little, little, little unclear. It is kind of unclear. Yeah, it's weird. As, but... to, as to why she's here and doing this. Uh, I do want to talk about Grant Feely though. Now Grant Feely only has two lines. <laughs> okay. In this, in this, but the line he has in the shop in the scene where Owen is getting tipped off that uh, Reva is, is after him, Grant Feely delivers this line just like Jake Lloyd. If you listen to the way that Grant Feely has Luke speak, it is like staring at young Anakin Skywalker. And before before anybody runs off, now our listeners would not do this, but to be clear. I think this is a deliberate choice by the director and the actor because he's in a junk, he's in a shop, a junk shop. He's wearing clothes that look a lot like young Anakin and he is delivering the line that he has in this junk shop in a cadence that is very similar to Jake Lloyd Hmm. and how he did it. So I choose to believe that the idea that they're trying to communicate successfully in my mind is that Luke is very similar to his father in his I like that. I also saw, um, I feel bad because, you know, we don't really get a ton of Luke in this episode. We get a, a, a little bit, but we don't get a, like a ton, you know, they don't hit you over the head with Luke in this episode, but he's there. He's good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel bad though, because I, you know, how we got so much Leia and it, it was so good. And I feel like, I wonder what the potential could have been, you know, if this, cause I saw a TikTok of this kid on, um, online and he's talking about being in the show and like, how they let him hold a lightsaber or something. And he was so happy and they were like, but when he like turned it on or whatever, it was red. And so he was like, oh, well, this isn't really like Luke's color. And then like one of the set people or the lighting people grips had to go like run and get like a green light for him or change it so that it was green. And it was just so funny. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. It's, we'll get to my complicated feelings on the potential for a sequel series probably in the retrospective that we're gonna do uh but i will say that if nothing else it it would be nice to see some of these actors embody some of these characters maybe one or two more times yeah we'll 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 talk about it next episode and we'll talk about maybe if they grow up a little bit and maybe if it's like something else but yeah so owen takes luke gets tipped off and he takes luke back to the farm and he's like we gotta go and Baru, white son Lars, is like, absolutely the fuck not. And Owen's like, um, 
okay, then then we need help. Baru is like pulls out a motherfucking gun <laughs> as like, oh, oh no, the fuck we don't. No, we how much do you know about Baru White Sun Lars? Do you know anything about her outside of the films? Honestly, I mean, you know, she doesn't really do anything or say anything in the prequels that much. And then in the OG, you know, New Hope, you know, rest in peace, Baru. But she uh, she just kind of like says, Loop, Loop. That's all she really says. <laughs> so we recently learned, thanks to the book Queen's Hope, uh, that Baru has actually been involved at this point for nearly a decade in an underground uh, slave freeing ring on Tatooine. Interesting. She's an abolitionist who's been working to like free slaves on Tatooine. And there's a fun implication when she pulls the guns out of the thing and Owen kind of gives you this look. He had no idea they were there. That is kind of funny. Baru just keeps guns stashed around the homestead. Like, just in case she needs them. Like, how well do you know your wife, really? (laughs) How well do you know your wife? Does she have guns hidden in secret compartments around the homestead? But I do love that they did that with her character. And they, I honestly, I feel like this show gave Baru more character growth and something to do than any of the other, like, films. Because she's always just the wife of. Right, she's... She's always historically been Owen's wife and stories right. that look at Luke's upbringing on Tatooine will tend to focus on Owen because Baru is such a kind figure right? in A New Hope that there's not that much for writers there. And what E.K. Johnson did was she was like, well, what if we made it like Baru has this whole other life? Right, I like lives. that. And additionally, and then Obi-Wan Kenobi is like, what if Baru had a Glock? <laughs> she was so funny. And I love how she's so like, nah, 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 nah. We're going to take this this bitch down. We're, we're going to do it ourselves. We don't need nobody. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, she was like on it. I, when, when Bonnie PSE, I apologize for the pronunciation of your name. Uh, if you're listening, showed up in the first episode and was barely in it. Barely in it. And I was like, that's so odd that they got like, I mean, it's super nice that they got Bonnie back to be in like one brief scene in the first episode. Like she played, she played Baru in in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, but she was mostly just there. Right. They didn't give her a whole lot to do. Then this episode rolls around as like, oh, oh no, she gets things to do. Yeah. And I get why they could have, like theoretically, if this scene had not happened, I would understand why they gave it more to Owen because, you know, he's a very established actor. He, you know, he's well known now. And, she, you know, she still doesn't have a ton of credits. You know, she does. It's not like her goal in life is not to be, you know, an Oscar winning actress. So, which is totally fine. She just has acted before. And I was like, oh, maybe she maybe she is looking for a little Emmy here now. <laughs> maybe, you know, Lord, yeah, this uh, because she she carries herself with such a fire in the character. Yeah. But you still see the Baru from a new hope, like especially when she talks about when Owen's like, you know, Ben's not here to help. And Baru's like. Whose fault is that? Yeah, that's your fault, dumbass. Like, you scared him away. <laughs> I know it's like, damn, 
my wife is right right i love it she's like essentially wearing the pants in the fit in the relationship too like it's like mm, interesting well it's it's clear that like owen is is more the farm he runs the farm guy and and right. Baru kind of takes care of the house mm-hmm. uh but when push comes to shove and somebody needs to step up Baru is doing it she's she, doing it i do just gonna that. pull guns out of a random hole in her house and be like okay i'm gonna square up with a fucking inquisitor let's go in space, Roken's ship is running out of time as the Empire pursues. Leia is upset about Kenobi's plan to draw the Empire away, and Kenobi takes the dropship, and the Empire begins to pursue him instead. So, that's a Star Destroyer. <laughs> that's an yeah. actual Star Destroyer. First one we've seen in the series, but they brought an actual Star Destroyer to go after Obi-Wan Kenobi. You know what? Why not? Which is correct. Did you recognize the uh, music that's playing over the the scene of establishing the ship running away? Uh, no, I've not. Is it the same it's from this, a new hope? It's this kind of like do 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 do. It's that. It it's from the original trilogy. I I can't remember for the life of me if it's from a new hope or Empire. I think uh, it's Empire. Uh, yeah. That it's from, but it's evoking music. There's a lot in these episodes that evokes music that we've seen we've heard before. Uh, and at some points, we'll just straight up play themes from the movies. Although I do want to jump back to the Star Destroyer real fast. Because here's the thing about Star Destroyers, right? Video games, like tactical RTS games, have fucked up the way that we look at Star Destroyer. Okay. We think of Star Destroyers as these very sluggish, stationary capital ships. Those motherfuckers are fast, and those motherfuckers have a lot of guns. <laughs> Because if you watch A New Hope, they are shooting after the Falcon. They are blasting after it super fast. In the very opening shot of Star Wars, it is matching pace with the Blockade Runner. So this thing, like, firing like a shitload of guns, loved it. My favorite part is where he says to increase the firepower, and it's like, Wait, why were they not doing that before? I had the same <laughs> like, thought. What? Why, why weren't you increasing the firepower before? Yeah, why are you I... prolonging this? Like, just get it over with. Like, Just shoot him. Yeah, it's so weird. Well, they can't shoot him because, and here's the thing. I want to know who's piloting this ship. I want to know who's piloting the craft fit because it is whipping around. It is whipping around in front of this thing. I was going to guess Sully, but don't, I think we see her. We see her in, we the, see her in, in the, the thing. thing. Talking, She's right? not yeah. flying the ship. See, dang it. That would have been such a fun, like, being like, oh, it was obviously Sully. Like, she's the best pilot they got or something. No, who is, who is flying the ship? That is my question. Lola. Clearly Lola is flying <laughs> the kidding. ship. Lola's flying the ship. Although, speaking of Lola, I do like that where we are the trajectory that we've had in Leia's arc. So Leia over the course of the series has had this arc of being very selfish to becoming more selfless. Right. And what do we see Leia doing first thing in this scene when Obi-Wan comes out, she's comforting people. She's sitting with Corrin and his mom. Right. And she's bringing out Lola for other kids because it calms them down. So we're seeing these hints of, of Leia as this, compassionate leader that she's going to eventually become right and that is where we are in the art i i absolutely love that so obi-wan and haja have a conversation later on obi-wan tells haja you need to get leia to you need to get leia to alderaan 
And Hodge is like, sure. I mean, I am a liar and a fake Jedi and my word may not be very good. And Obi-Wan says, it's good enough for me. And Hodge is like, can't speak. Starts crying. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I start crying. Right. Well, I, I saw a take that Kimail Nanjiani did actually like re, retweet an image of this. But somebody pointed out, it's possible that part of the reason that Obi-Wan looked at Han in A New Hope and was like, this guy is a crook and a swindler mm. and a low life, but his heart is in the right place. And I could sort of tell is because he's had experience with people like Hondo Onaka and Haja. I like where that he take. can look at somebody and, and at that point be like, you're a good person deep down. I like that take. I, I think it's cute because it also makes Haja not like an unlikable character, right? Like, cause he could have easily been like you could have written him so poorly to the point where it was like, he's unlikable. Right. Like, and he just happens to be there and he's just like this annoying character who just won't go away, but they made it in a way where he is this kind of lovable scoundrel, like in a sense, and he's not, you know, a bad person. He's just making his way in the galaxy. Right. And, and part of my issue with like, I would have liked an epilogue scene maybe with some of these characters is I would have liked to have seen their arcs come to conclusion. Right. I would have liked to see Roken take on more of a leadership mantle. I would have liked to see Haja maybe, maybe not change his ways completely, but show where he is at the end of this. You know, we kind of leave right. him and he's about to get Leia to Alderaan and that's the last we see of him. Where he was probably paid handsomely. <laughs> yeah exactly. they probably paid him a shitload of money when he showed up we kind of i mean yeah you're right i wish we would have gotten another additional scene with haja and roken i mean they kind of do like a throwaway line i think kenobi says something to broken along the lines of like you have to keep doing what you're doing basically like and then everything will be fine and i i don't know if that was enough for me to like be like okay well what's roken gonna do after this like i need a i needed something else where like he met mon mothma or something where it was like you know what i mean like something like that for a brief moment i thought mon mothma was gonna show up at the end of this series i really thought so because i feel like haja or roken and I, even if tala had survived i thought they would have been easy additions to doing whatever they're gonna do in andor you know what i mean because it kind of seems like that storyline kind right. of goes into that a little bit. Maybe, I'd be curious so. to see. I'd be curious to see because I feel like they're not going to address it in Andor, but I do feel like a lot of supplemental material is going to tie these together. Mm. So I feel like we're going to see a lot of books and comics and stuff that are coming out in the wake of this start tying some of this stuff together, which I think is going to be very interesting for me as a canon enjoyer to experience. And, you know, I don't know if this would counteract or maybe this doesn't work but maybe it does because technically you know the solo movie takes place at the same time as this timeline wise yes. so theoretically the lando show possibly haja could show up in the lando show or possibly <laughs> well, Roken or somebody like that. that yeah because well, that I, movie, timeline wise would work i did read a thing that said the only reason they haven't done the lando show yet is they're waiting on donald glover that he's tied up with some other stuff. They're waiting for him to free up. Which is totally fine. Which is fine. We don't need it right away. It's fine. They're, they're still listing it on their production. So that's all that matters. It's still happening. It's still happening. Last I heard, it's still happening. So Ben, like, when he's having the, the little goodbye conversation with Leia, he hands her Tala's holster. And she's like, it doesn't have a blast. It's empty. <laughs> it and gun. he's like, I'm not going to give you a blaster. You're 
can. <laughs> I love that. But that his, his continuing point, which is, you know, you won't always be tan. You're going to have to step up eventually. Again, continuing that arc with Leia, where she has going from being selfish and doing whatever she wants to being more selfless and almost Jedi-like in a way, where she like still is, I'm going to do things on my terms, but I'm going to use my position and my resources at my disposal to help people. And I was going to say, if there's any like detectives out there, anybody who knows this for sure, I didn't get a chance to look up the Return of the Jedi Leia outfit or the Empire Strikes Back Leia outfit. I wanted to see if she has a holster in any of those outfits at some point. I um, do believe... I thought maybe she had one in Return of the Jedi in that kind of uh, forest outfit. outfit. Yeah, Endor outfit. I don't know if she does or not, but that in my brain, I feel like I remember, remember that. But I don't know if that's just like a mandala effect because of... She does have a holster. It looks like a different holster in Endor. Okay. It, I mean, it looks different, but it could be but the same one. It just could modified. theoretically be the same one. Like, because we're not looking at it like super close. So, I mean, you know, yeah, maybe I mean, why not? The implication is that she, she continues to wear it around. So, I'm going to go with it is. It's maybe she just like re upholstered it or something. Maybe she modified it. it a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. She, she had to make it refinished, you know. Look, that's the messy beauty of Star Wars, right? Is right, yeah. You you make shit up as you go along, and then you retroactively tie it in. Yeah, because you know she's got the gun holster there, and then Rex also is on Endor for some reason. You know, like it's all uh, kinds of stuff. Except he wasn't. It, that that's a can of worms. That's a can of worms. We're not gonna open. <laughs> he was, but that wasn't him in the movies. It's uh, we're not I know, going there. I know. I'm not I know. going there. Gonna... It's a fucking rancor all over again. <laughs> we got shit to do. Roken. Obi-Wan has a little conversation with Roken and Roken's like, I'm just getting started. And my note is you fucking better be more Roken, please. Yeah, I mean, uh, O'Shea Jackson tweeted out. He's like more Star Wars, please, or something like that. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something along the lines of like more Roken in Star Wars or more O'Shea Jackson Jr. in Star Wars or something. Yeah, they all of the new characters in this have been so good. I feel like they need more time. Like, I just didn't get enough time with them. Yeah. Well, part of what I'm excited is what happens now is a lot of people are going to come in and fill in those backstories. And and my hope is that they between this and Andor and Lando, they will do more stuff in this era because this is a largely unexplored era. And I'm hoping yeah. that Obi-Wan Kenobi, the show, will set the stage for other things in this time period. Right. Yeah, because it's about you said you said it was nine years until New Hope, right? It's about eight years. Eight years. Eight okay. Years yeah. So eight ish years. I mean, there's lots, lots of place to play. Plus, you also have Rebels in there. And then you also have Rogue One in there. And so it's like, all you have to do is just kind of like slowly fill in the little gaps. Oh, and Thrawn also takes place in there too, right? Thrawn is uh, there. Yeah. The Thrawn books are there. The Thrawn books in there too. So you got all kinds of stuff you could play around with. And now we know uh, from Ahsoka stuff from Celebration that they're not afraid to recreate scenes from the show so possibly maybe we'll see some Thrawn uh, stuff in there. the ahsoka stuff is a so so that's the fact that it's a sequel series but yes they're not afraid to recreate who knows we, yeah who knows we'll see uh i want to talk about the grand inquisitor here and his okay. whole thing because he has a little conversation with vader <laughs> right before vader's like fucking get kenobi yeah he's like no 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 we're not doing no, no, we're, no, we don't no, care no, about the little no, chickens yeah. fucking get kenobi right <laughs> The Grand Inquisitor is like, um, maybe we should go after like 
the insurgents. Yeah. And Vader's like, maybe we should shut our bitch ass face up. Hmm? I brought you back to life. I can unbring you back maybe to life. Maybe we mind too. our goddamn business. <laughs> and I think this is interesting for two reasons. Firstly, because it stands in stark contrast to the way the Inquisitor talks to his subordinates. Mm-hmm. He broaches this with Vader, and Vader's like, shut the fuck up. The Inquisitor shuts up like immediately. Yeah. He's just like, okay. He's just like, okay. He kind of mugs in the background a little bit, but other than that, he does the equivalent of you when you roll your eyes at the camera after I've said something particularly smart. But it's interesting that we talked about how in Rebels, he's going to adopt kind of the same like wait and see sort of patient strategy. He's going to get yelled at in Rebels for literally doing exactly this. This is why Tarkin has to come to Lothal because the Grand Inquisitor is trying to be patient and clever and they keep getting out of his traps. And so Tarkin shows up and's like, I'm going to fix your fucking problem. Right. Because you don't know what you're doing. So, so much in just like <laughs> a little bit of time. Yeah. There's, there's so many details. I am, sk- I am skipping over stuff. Like I've had, this is the first show we've ever done where I've had to self edit my own notes while taking them. I mean, literally when I was doing my little recaps, it's so hard to cut stuff out because it's like, was that important enough to even mention? Or is it just something that like just happened? You know what I mean? Like it's, it's so hard to do, but. I've had to self edit these notes. Cause I would have had been like, that's a good, that's a good thing to observe, but can I fit that into like, is that interesting? Yeah. Can I make this interesting? <laughs> Back on Tatooine, the Lars prepare for Reva's arrival. She walks into the farm and Owen and Brew begin firing upon her, but she deflects the attacks. Owen confronts Reva, but she bests him and Baru. Luke escapes into the desert while Reva pursues him. So Luke's only other line in the episode is, I'm not afraid, which is interesting uh, because my immediate thought was, you will be. And then I <laughs> remembered... Yeah, I remember that line from Empire Strikes Back where he's like, I'm not afraid. Tell it, Ben, I'm not afraid. Or no, it's it's like he's talking to Yoda. He's like, I'm not afraid. And Yoda's like, you will be. Like, that's that's a fun little. Yeah. Yeah, I love Owen using the environment. Like, he kicks plants down onto Reva. <laughs> now, to be fair, he has a little bit of an advantage. He doesn't know that Reva was just stabbed less than 24 hours ago with a lightsaber. So she's he's kind of like got a little bit of an upper hand, but... Well, here's the thing about the plants, though, because he kicks over like a pot plant or something on top of her. Plants on Tatooine are probably not cheap. And he has had to invest water in keeping those things alive. And without a second of hesitation, he just tosses one down at Reva. That's true. And it's just breaking shit. So breaking shit in a McMansion where you can replace everything and not make a dent in your bank account is one thing. Right. Breaking shit in your own home when you're (laughs) barely struggling to get by. Right. And oh, by the way, you're not having to pay your water tax to Jabba because Ben Kenobi beats up anybody who comes to your farm. That's from the comics. You're still struggling to get by. I, I think it it's a tiny little moment, but to me it stuck out, especially with some of the other Owen stuff we get going into his scene with Reva where she's like, you love him. Like he's your own. And his response is without hesitation. He is my own. This show has redeemed Owen Lars. He's not a jerk anymore. He's like literally his father. Like people shut on Owen Lars. So much, including me, I'm one of them (laughs) of like grouchy, 
He's mean to Obi-Wan Kenobi. But let's look at this seriously. Like, what did Owen Lars do in A New Hope? He didn't want his kid to go off and join the fascist empire. (laughs) Which he knows is bad. Yeah. Which he knows is bad. Firsthand, he knows why it's bad. (laughs) Uh, And that's presented as the major thing. He's a jerk for doing. Uh, And he he calls Obi-Wan kind of a dick, which other than that, is not that bad of a dude. No. Oh, well, okay. I do want to take a little tiny side quest real quick. Um, Why doesn't he just raise Luke to teach him that the empire is fascist and terrible and that he should never want to join the empire. He should want to stay on the farm forever because it's not because it's in, in a new hope. It is not that Luke wants to join the empire because there are deleted scenes that establish that his friend Biggs, who yeah. we see at the end of the movie is planning to jump ship and join the rebellion. And Luke is oh. kind of interested in doing the same thing. Okay. Luke doesn't care about the empire. Luke right. wants to get off Tatooine. Yeah, he just wants and to joining be the empire is the best and only way to do that. Got it. Okay. So when he says, I want to go to the academy, what he's not saying is I want to join up with the fascists. What he's saying is I just want to get off Tatooine and I'm probably going to jump ship like as soon as I can. Owen fucking comes at Reva with a goddamn pipe. <laughs> she has a lightsaber and he has a pipe. Whatever. And then Baru tries to fucking cold clock her ass. These two literally are willing to toss like everything they have at Reva to try to protect Luke. Um, I also love that this is not only, this is like the second time Reva has almost fucked up the entire canon, like the second time in a row, because the first time she fucked up the Inquisitor and he theoretically died and she almost fucked that up. And then now he almost, she almost fucking kills Luke Skywalker as a child. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, wait, Reva. Reva could have stopped the plots of Rebels and the entire Star Wars series. Canon afterwards. <laughs> if she had aimed her lightsaber a little bit differently. Right. It's so wild. I, well, it's, it's kind of a funny detail, right? Like she literally almost changed the course of the entire events of Star Wars with just like a few decision-making processes. <laughs> I find it interesting when that happens and you have a situation where someone's in a position where if they had made slightly different choices, the story would have been radically different. Radically different. And I find it interesting that that's happening in something that's not one of the mainline films. Mm -hmm. But we also look at this in like Clone Wars, especially because Clone Wars is about Anakin. If certain choices had been made differently in Clone Wars, the saga would not have happened. Most particularly in the Siege of Mandalore arc around Revenge of the Sith. A big one being if Ahsoka had gone with them to Coruscant or Anakin had stayed behind on Mandalore, the whole saga would have played out differently. Right. Or that scene in the throne room with Ahsoka and Maul. If she had accepted Maul's offer to team up against Sidious... They probably would have killed him, yeah. Immediately. Yeah, it's so weird that you can come up with little parts of the story where you're like, if this one thing had changed, then like nothing else would happen. I guess it's not Reva's fault. Like Reva resulted other things. So, or if Baru had survived the events of A New Hope, she would have rolled up on the Imperial Palace with a fucking Gluck (laughs) and been like, "What's up, Palpatine?" R.I.P. Gone. (laughs) They had to burn her body because they were so scared of her pulling a fucking gun out. No, you know what? That's what that's what we didn't get to see from A New Hope. There's a whole entire scene that I'm sure is uh, 
deleted now where Owen and Brew have their guns out and they're taking out stormtroopers left and right. And, oh, you I know, bet you and they had to pull out the heavy artillery to get them out. And then they finally burned them down, you know, because they were just like, oh, these two were a lot of work. Oh, to no, get I love I love the idea. They the Empire had to take them out in a very specific way because Owen and Baru would have fucked them up. Yep. That's my I new like that they're that badasses they're now. Yep. Like these yep. the random the the like jerk uncle and and the sweet aunt from a new hope or like badasses now the the last thing i want to i want to discuss before we jump back to the the other thing that's happening simultaneously to all these scenes is the juxtaposition between the two so it jumps okay. back and forth between baru and owen fighting reva to try to protect luke and obi-wan fighting vader to try to protect leia in the path and i find it interesting that it cuts back and forth between two simultaneous battles that are occurring where someone is trying to protect a skywalker twin someone is trying very hard and potentially laying down their life to protect a skywalker and i love that meanwhile kenobi lands on a rocky planet which i guess is jameen now vader approaches and the two begin their fight Kenobi throws a monolith at Vader, who notices his strength is back in the force, but he's still no match. Vader uses the force to cause the ground beneath Kenobi to collapse. He then attempts to bury him under the rocks. Vader taunts Kenobi for thinking he could defeat him and walks away triumphant. Uh, So he lands on the planet, Obi-Wan lands on the planet, and realizes, do you remember all the way back in episode one, when Brea confiscated Lola? And... Uh, Leia like hugged her and pickpocketed Lola back out. Right. Remember all the way back in episode one. So Obi-Wan realizes that when Leia hugged him before he left, she slipped Lola into his pocket. That's what that was. Okay. Cause I was, I guess I just missed that. Cause I was so focused on like the fight. Like I wasn't focused on the Lola stuff. And I was like, why does he have Lola? I was like, so confused the whole entire episode. So she says, she says uh, earlier that Lola helps comfort people. And Got he it. says kind of half jokingly, maybe I should borrow her. That's and what it was. so okay. Leia does her pickpocketing thing to slip Lola into his pocket so that he gets this one last moment of comfort because he kind of looks at Lola and smiles and sets Lola down before he goes off to confront Vader. It's also kind of that like that kid mentality of like, well, if I leave this thing here, then we have to come back or we have yes. to see each other again. You know what I mean? Because like, There's oh, layers. you have my favorite toy. Layers like I have to, to yeah, yeah. Oh, yep. He walks out and Vader walks up and then Obi-Wan does the thing. Does the thing. He does the thing. He does the <laughs> lightsaber pose. <laughs> Which was very nice because I was like, he is he ever going to do it? Is it? I don't know. It was just nice. And, and he then he does did. it. And yep. then he does it. He also says, I will do what I must, which is his line from Revenge of the Sith. Which he never and seems to do. Did you note Vader's response? I have the high ground now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Vader says, then you will die. On Malachor, Ahsoka, after she unmasks Vader, says, I won't leave you again. And his response is, then you will die. Then you will die. Which it is the same line. From the confrontation on Malachor, these two fights echo each other so much. So much. There's to, there's way too much connection with this fight, which is great because I love any time they bring up Ahsoka in actual like live action media. I know that, yes, we've gotten her now finally in a TV show, but before, you know, 
they never ever it's almost like ahsoka never existed because obviously the clone wars came after the movies and it was like you can't really do anything and now that they can finally start sprinkling that ahsoka stuff in it makes it, it makes it so much better like last time when vader had the twin lightsabers in ahsoka's ready stance yeah like her presence is felt in this Mm-hmm. And she's like Padme and they don't reference her by name but you can feel her presence right uh I love the symbolism of Vader literally trying to bury Obi-Wan like trying to bury this element of his past yeah literally uh that's it's so symbolic and there's themes and it's resonant oh god it's so good my one thing though is like why does Vader not ever want to like go for the kill shot? Why does he always have to do something to these people where it's like, oh, I'm just going to let you just die naturally and suffer. Like, why do you, why does he Because that's what everyone did to him. I know. I'm just saying it's a joke. I'm just and joking. Vader, like, Vader is a petty bitch. He really is. He's like, he you know what? You can just suffocate bitch. under the ground instead of just being killed. Vader. So... I'm going to mildly spoil the first Darth Vader run. In the first Darth Vader run, Vader teams up with Dr. Aphra. And Aphra tells him, my greatest fear is being shot out in airlock. My greatest fear is suffocating to death in the vacuum of space. At the end of the run, when Vader is done with Aphra, he drags her to an airlock and shoves her out it. Why would you tell somebody that? And then like... (laughs) Because... Because, and again, we're getting into spoiler territory here. Uh, spoilers for the first run of Darth Vader, also the Dr. Afra audio drama. Afra figured out that Vader's a petty bitch. And she figured out that if she tells him, oh yeah, uh, I don't mind dying by lightsaber. I don't mind dying from being like suffoc- like choked or whatever. Uh, I specifically am afraid of this one method of dying When Vader wants to dispose of her, he's going to do it that way. Clever girl. And she had an escape plan ready to go. So that's Vader's thing. If he cares about you, he is going to kill you in the most petty, shitty way possible. Underneath the rubble, Kenobi is haunted by the memories of his previous fights with Vader. However, he focuses on memories of Luke and Leia, which he uses to scatter the rocks and debris to free himself. Kenobi attacks Vader, and the two engage lightsabers. Kenobi uses the Force to hurl Vader against a rock before pummeling him with other rocks. Kenobi damages Vader's armor by striking his helmet with the saber, exposing his left side of his scar face. Kenobi apologizes for failing him, and Vader replies that it was he who killed Anakin all along and vows to destroy Kenobi. Kenobi leaves in the starship, leaving Vader alone. Yeah, so uh, the Force is a power uh, for lifting rocks. As we know, that's what the Force is used for. Definitely. Uh, Ray got it right. Ray got it 100% right. (laughs) So Luke was lying to her when he said (laughs) that that's not what it was all about. Uh, No, clearly it was about lifting rocks. Mm -hmm. Good Lord, though, the the shot of him where he's standing there with his arms outstretched and he's got tons of boulders in the air. Listeners, as you know, if you've listened to this show before, uh, or you may have figured out an hour into the episode, I am a guy who loves his themes and I love, I, I'm a guy who loves his story. I'm not so much into the, oh, the Jedi did the cool thing. That's nice, but I reject things like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if X, and it has no real story purpose. Right. Uh, 
you know, taking the force to ludicrous extremes, I feel like doesn't serve a story and diminishes the force in a way. However, this shot is some of the coolest display of fucking force mastery I've ever seen. Because not only does it show that Obi-Wan is back fully in connection with himself and connection with the force, it's just fucking badass. Yeah, of course. Who doesn't love a good force using scene? I mean, actually, what's funny is this gave me um, vibes from uh, Infinity War where Doctor Strange is fighting against Thanos or whatever. And they do like these multiple things to each other. And it's just like this very quick action scene. But it was very similar to that where it's like Kenobi's just like, okay, I'm going to go all out now. Like, and he's just like, I'm going to use these rocks to fucking throw them at you. I'm going to throw you against the wall. I'm going to do all kinds of shit that Jedi don't normally do, right? Because it's not necessarily like, I don't want to say it's not fair, but it's not the normal way that he would be fighting a regular person, right? He's doing this because Vader's not a normal enemy. No, no. And he clearly has worked out that the only way to beat Vader is to incapacitate him. That's the only way, which he does by pummeling him with rocks, beating the shit out of his life support system, and then slicing (laughs) half of his face off. Which was so good. So several people have pointed out Bradley, I'm, I'm going to need you to take to Google. I'm going to pull up what I'm about to have you pull up. Uh, I want you to search for unmasked Vader. All right. Are you looking at a photo of a Vader unmasked? Uh, yes. Where the, uh, the old man version. Do you see the scar on the top of his head? Yes, I do. Do you notice where that scar is? It is on the left side of his face. <laughs> Sorry, I had to like do the opposite because I had to see what it was. That is the side of his face that Obi-Wan hits with the lightsaber. So it has been pointed out. Now, I don't know if if I think that the angles are exactly right. I haven't checked it. Eh, close enough. But it is close enough that there is pretty decently solid evidence uh, that this is what gave him that wound. Well, and to be fair, Kenobi has given him every wound he's ever had. So, I uh, mean, is it that really that special Dooku, when he has this? Dooku has, given, <laughs> Dooku has given him some wounds. I mean, I'm talking about like burned corpse to the point where he doesn't have any limbs anymore and then he had to get reconstructed into Darth Vader. So, I mean... Yes, this... This particular injury on the top of his head. But I do like that little is, detail. Yes, it is. It nice. is approximately where. I like it. It's very nice because, you know, it's funny. You, I just can, realized... you can headcanon that if you want. The show right. doesn't explicitly show it, but. Well, now I just thought about it. I was like, they could have done this back when they did the Ahsoka fight. When she slices his mask for the first time on the right side, they could have done that easily on the left side and been like, oh, that's how he got that scar. So it gave it to him or something. Just find that interesting that you say that because. Well, here's the thing. Look at the difference between the two, because yeah. this this sequence, this is my next note. This sequence is a deliberate echo of Rebels. It's not a copy, right? It's a deliberate, deliberate reference, deliberate call forward to Rebels. And I think one of the interesting elements about it is the differences between the two. Ahsoka doesn't hasn't confirmed that Anakin is in the mask and she whacks it kind of in the front she doesn't hit him with it she doesn't right. hit his head with it at all she just kind of slices off part of the mask yeah I, I'm looking at a picture of it now yeah it's just kind of like whereas Obi-Wan yeah. Obi-Wan fucking tears damn near a third of that thing off his face I was surprised that he left 
the other half on. I thought he was gonna like rip the rest of it off so like we could see a full on face. But I'm well, he can't he can't barely breathe with without it. Right, right, right. Uh, it's but it's so cool, yeah. Uh, um, and then the voice modulation when you hear you can slightly hear Hayden Christensen talk and then they kind of keep going back and forth and it was just so good with the voice manipulator like not working so one thing I love is that in the mirror of these scenes um, Ashley Eckstein who plays Ahsoka mm-hmm. her Ahsoka is talking to Matt Lanter her Anakin right, and Ewan McGregor is talking to Hayden Christensen so they're both talking to their own Anakins, which is a, a minor thing. Uh, it has been pointed out many different, there are many different things about the sequence. It has been pointed out that uh, Ahsoka removes the right side of his mask. Obi-Wan removes the left. Right. Uh, but it wasn't until Luke that somebody could get the full mask off of his head. I love that detail. Love the symbolism. Mm-hmm. I personally want to note the differences between the two because Vader essentially tells both of them the same thing. Anakin Skywalker is dead. I killed him. And Ahsoka's reaction to learning that that's Anakin under the mask, getting the confirmation that that's Anakin under the mask, is to say, no, I'm not leaving you. Potentially dying with him when Malachor, the weapon, blows up. Obi-Wan knew Anakin is under the mask, getting confirmation that Vader, he is, Anakin is lost, turns and walks away. He's like, okay. (laughs) And leaves Anakin behind. So I found it interesting, the difference between those two. The lighting on Vader's face, the way it's lit, where it's it's almost kind of, there's no lightsaber on it at all, really. Yeah. There's a little bit of blue when he's saying, I'm, I'm not your failure, Obi-Wan. I didn't kill, you didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. And then he says, I did. And the lighting gradually changes to red. And he gradually gets his Sith eyes. Deborah Child directed uh, The Mandalorian Chapter 3, which is one where I specifically pointed out the use of lighting in The Mandalorian. The lighting in Obi-Wan, good lord. Chef's kiss. This is arguably one of my favorite scenes in Star Wars was this little bit, just this little conversation. Good lord. Him say, so in A New Hope, Obi-Wan says, Vader, essentially Vader betrayed and murdered your father. And in Return of the Jedi, they had to backpedal it real fast and be like, uh, what I told you was kind of true, sort of. <laughs> um, definitely, we knew what was happening in this uh, this series that we were making. This retroactively makes what he says in A New Hope not a lie. Right, because Vader told him himself. Vader He's just like, flat out told him. That's what right? he said. And and it explains why, why Obi-Wan in the original trilogy was like, no, you have to kill Vader. Because he's can't not bring your, him back. Yeah, he's not. You can't the bring him back. He is. And and it explains why in Return of the Jedi, Vader tells Luke, Obi Wan once thought as you did, because Obi Wan also tried, and Vader was like, nah. And Obi Wan was like, okay. Like the bridging between Re- Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, and how that carries forward into Empire and Jedi. It feels like this chapter, before this came out, it it didn't feel like anything was missing. Uh, but now this feels absolutely necessary, uh, which is made even worse by Ewan and Hayden's fucking acting. Emmys, give them. Where are they? Where are the Emmys? <laughs> Where are the Emmys? Give give the awards to them immediately. I would I would like to see 
a Star Wars acting Emmy awarded, not just special effects, not just sound, not just set design, not just costume design. Like I want to see ding Emmys. I want to see them. I need to see them. I think Deborah Child deserves the directing one for this. True. Yeah. You know what? Give, give them all three. I, I need best supporting actor. I need best supporting actress and I need best directing. Well, they'll be in the limited series category. So. Oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. I never thought about it. So maybe best limited series. I don't know what they would ever go. I don't know what they'd be going up against, but. I like it. Uh, something that's not going to win. Yeah, we need like, something. Maybe like, Moon Knight. But even then, that's all, not a limited series all the, anymore. All the, you know, if, what do you mean? It's it's not a limited series anymore. Because they confirmed that that wasn't the series finale. So it's not limited series anymore. Interesting. I also would not want to see Ewan McGregor go up against Oscar Isaac. I, I, I definitely don't want the cannibalism there. I don't like the Disney cannibalizing itself being like going up against a Marvel thing, going up against the Star Wars thing, going up to the Disney thing. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like- Oh, Disney would love the cannibalism. They would love to be the only one in the game. Well, that's true. It's like how Netflix had been sweeping for a while. You know what I mean? Like, it's, I, I, like, I don't want to see too much cannibalization. So finally, in From a Certain Point of View, which is the short story anthology, there is a short story by Kevin Scott called Time of Death, which is- about Obi-Wan Kenobi's death. In it, he reconciles the fact that Obi-Wan calls Darth Vader Darth in A New Hope by saying that it was the worst thing that he could conjure up. And he does it again here. I noticed that. that he called Darth. Yeah. And he says, goodbye, Darth. Like, I'm not He's even going to call, I'm not gonna call you by your name anymore. Yeah. I'm not even going to call you by your Sith name. I'm going to call you by your title. Yeah, that is weird. I, I never thought of it like as just like oh, that's just their title. Like that's not like, actually like a I'm, thing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not even gonna call you Vader. You are the dark lord that murdered my friend right. and my brother. And all I'm gonna call you is Darth because you're just a Sith to me. You're just the enemy. And all this is communicated in two words with even McGregor's acting. Amazing. Fucking incredible. Fucking incredible. Do you have any other notes for this sequence? I don't unfortunately no. Back on Tatooine, Reva closes in on Luke and uses the force to cause him to fall, knocking him unconscious. In hyperspace, Kenobi senses Luke is in danger and heads to Tatooine. Reva attempts to kill Luke, but is haunted with flashbacks of the Purge. Kenobi lands at the Lars homestead, finding the pair calling out for Luke. Reva approaches with an unconscious Luke, alive, and Owen takes him back inside. Reva confides to Kenobi that she failed to avenge her fellow younglings, but Kenobi assures her she has not fallen to the dark side and is now free to choose her own destiny. So do you remember when I said that uh, that she was wearing the Star Wars hood and she looked like someone and we will come back to who that someone was um, and we get to that later? Well, later is now. Did you put together who she looks like, who she's specifically emulating? No, I didn't. She looks... She looks like Darth Vader. She looks like Anakin as Vader when he's in the temple. Oh, interesting. Hood up, the way that the the robe drapes around, the specific way that the hood is, she looks like Vader. She literally has become Vader. And not the Vader that we know in the suit, the Vader that so traumatized her. Right. Oh, like the Anakin Vader, yes. How long does it take to get from Jabim to Tatooine? apparently 15 minutes because that's all you need to well to be fair in the beginning of the episode reva got there pretty quickly so i after being stabbed to death basically so well here's the thing i fell down a rabbit hole oh god trying to figure this out it's 10 light years plus a parsec plus a here is what i was able to discover 
So Jabim and Tatooine are both in the Outer Rim. They are both in a region called the Slice. So they are in the same kind of corner of the galaxy. The question that I could not answer was how close are they within the Slice to each other? Because every map that I looked at that was canon, I couldn't find Jabim on it. Because Jabim was only canonized, I believe, in Brotherhood. Mm. which came out like three months ago. So I couldn't find if they are that close to each other and you could just hop, skip, and jump over. They are in the same area of space, at the very least. All this to say, uh, he gets there because plot needed him to. Yeah, I was going to say, he just he was next door. It was the next planet over, probably. So there you go. So I cannot officially uh, confirm that Jabim and Tatooine are very close to each other, but the implication is they are very close to each other. So when Reva is approaching, uh, they really hammer home this Reva as Vader thing by literally cutting back and forth between Vader and... Do you notice that? That they're jumping back and forth? Yeah, they're really hammering this home. Well, even more so, because this kind of reflects on, uh, I believe, Attack of the Clones, where Anakin's holding his dead mother... Yeah, that was literally my next note. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, there you go. So it flashes back and forth between her and Vader, and she, like, lifts the lightsaber, and she can't go through with it. And the next scene, she's walking out of the desert, carrying Luke the way that Anakin carried Shmi and attacked the clones. Which, if you're Owen, and you see this, he saw Anakin do the same thing in the past, so you're like, immediately terrified that your yeah, kid is dead. He's like, holy shit, Luke is dead. Like, that's his first thought. Immediately terrified that your kid is dead. Also, uh, how for- rude of Reva, if she if he actually was dead, how rude of her to be like, oh, I, at least I brought you back the body. Like, <laughs> Well, fortunately, he's not, and the events of Star Wars could happen. And then Reva and Ben have this conversation where she asks if she's become him. Obi-Wan responds indirectly that, that no, she hasn't uh, because she chose not to become him. That she always had that choice not to perpetuate the cycle of trauma. This is so fucking good. Her whole arc has been so fucking good. It's been like trying to deal with trauma and having something traumatic happen to you and then turning around and inflicting that trauma on other people and justifying it and rationalizing it and telling yourself that you're going to get back on the person who traumatized you and all this is just a means to an end. And then finally Rhea is in this situation where killing this random kid on Tatooine isn't going to do shit to Vader. But she's rationalized it in her brain that she is. And finally she realizes, oh no, that's fucking terrible actually. Like Vader had such a grip on her. And Obi-Wan was the same way. They're parallels to each other. They are foils to each other. That's what I've been saying from the beginning. People saying, oh, Reva was unnecessary to the story. Thematically, she is absolutely necessary to the story. Right. She is a foil for Obi-Wan. Both of them are being held back and being trapped and chained by the memory of Anakin Skywalker. And when Obi-Wan says, now you're free, we both are. That's what he's saying. Both of them can finally leave Vader behind. Good. And I do like that. Again, we didn't kill her. We didn't kill her. Which we Star thought Wars, there was no way she was going to survive oh, this yeah. season. 
Star Wars has this bad habit of being like, ah, uh, you're redeemed, die now. Right. No, she's going to have to put in the work. Yeah, no, she's I She's going like to have that. to go out and do something with herself. And I love that. I love the implication that she can now do whatever she wants. Whatever that turns out to be. It was right. the ending that Ventress should have gotten. It was the exact, uh, that's exactly what I was thinking when I was watching this. I was like, hmm, there was no reason why Ventress actually needed to die. She still could have just lived out her life and redeemed herself through good deeds and all kinds of shit, right? So, which Reva's getting to do, thank God. But it's like... Finally, someone in Star Wars broke this vicious cycle. Uh, you know what? I'm at least somebody, at least one female got to redeem them. A villain female got to redeem themselves. Uh, in and Star not Wars. immediately fucking die. Exactly. Yes. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Because Phasma didn't get to redeem herself and Ventress didn't get to redeem herself. So at least they gave me one of my favorite characters, <laughs> villain females, to redeem themselves. God damn it. I. I loved when he says, you know, now now you're free. We both are. Because in a couple of years, he's going to tell Maul, look what I have risen above. This works so fucking well with Rebels. The show works so fucking well with Rebels. And the next scene we're about to get to continues the trend of working really well with Rebels. Um, and I'm, and I'm, I'm wondering, too, it's like now that she's free, um, she... I wonder if they'll just let her play in this timeline. I don't think we can jump forward or anything with her. I don't know. I I do think I will go ahead and spoil. I'll we'll talk about this with the retrospective. I will go ahead and spoil and say that I don't want an Obi-Wan Kenobi season two. I want a Reva centric show. I think Obi-Wan's story is kind of done. Yeah, I agree. For now, he can show up in things and it would be cool. It is always delightful to have Ewan McGregor. Right. Of course. But I think the story needs to be about someone else and Reva is kind of set up to be that someone else. And we'll talk more about that in our uh, retrospective because I do want to I do want to talk about what that show would look like and a certain character that theoretically could show up in that show that could work with her. That would be very interesting. So there's, interesting. A, teaser there's a teaser for you because I think it would work perfectly, especially with certain rumors that are going around. So is it is it Quinlan Voss? I do not want to say and I want okay. it to be a teaser for now. Okay. Tune in, tune in next week for our retrospective Obi-Wan Kenobi. (laughs) No, we're not fucking done yet. This is Return of the King. We have 18 million endings to do. (laughs) Right. Yeah, there's there's literally five different more. And I'm just kidding. There's not that many. There's only three more endings, technically. Return of the King. Listen, listen. I understand (laughs) cutting out the scouring of the Shire for pacing reasons. I understand this deep in my soul. I get it. As a screen, there's a trained screenwriter. I look at that and I see that makes sense. As someone who's familiar with the themes of Tolkien's work, Return of the King needed at least one more ending, and it was that. Put it in the extended, put it in the extended cuts. Shoot it, put it in the extended cut. That's what you should have done. It was already four and a half hours. You could have added 20 more minutes on there. You would have been fine. Coming back to Star Wars, I'm gonna be a menace when Rings of Power comes out. I'm gonna be terrifying. Let's move on. At Fortress Vader, Vader informs the Emperor that he will still continue to pursue Kenobi. Sidious questions if this is distracting him too much, and Vader pledges his loyalty to the Sith. Oh, hello, Ian McDermott. <laughs> that was so random. <laughs> I Who's was not expecting yeah, I was so it was so unexpected to see Darth Sidious show up in this. I don't know why it was so shocking to me. I was like, huh. 
that's a weird thing to put in this Star Wars. Like, I guess, I don't know. It was for me, it, it was so random. I was like, huh, that's a, I, I guess, yeah, he would be talking to his boss. Yeah, that's, this like, makes sense. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Well, I think putting him in more of the show would have overshadowed it because, so yeah. here's what happens in this scene, right? This is exactly what happens in this scene. Vader is like, let's fucking get Kenobi. Palpatine is like, nah. And Vader's like, you know what? Nah. In Rebels, when they're talking in the very, very, very first scene of the show, yeah. literally the first scene of the show, I'm confusing it with the Inquisitor scene. Uh, end of season two, episode one-ish. So the end of the Siege of Lothal. Vader's like, I think this is Ahsoka Tano. I think the, the apprentice of Anakin Skywalker is still alive. And Sidious is like, well, if she's alive, she could lead us to other lost Jedi. And Vader says, such as Kenobi. And Sidious replies, perhaps if he lives. Both of these scenes, Vader's like, I want to get Kenobi. And Palpatine, for whatever reason, is like, nah, not mm. bother. Because here's the thing. Too old. An obsession with Obi-Wan Kenobi is an Anakin thing. Vader can't serve Palpatine effectively if he's obsessed over Kenobi. Kenobi's no threat to Palpatine, and he can't turn Anakin back to the, the light side. He's tried and failed twice. Right. It is in Palpatine's interests to keep Vader focused on being Vader and not be pulled aside by things that are remind him of Anakin. And going after Kenobi would remind him of Anakin. It is only when Vader learns that Anakin Skywalker had a son that he really starts to be like, okay, time to overthrow Palpatine now because Palpatine lied to me. He was lying the whole time, yeah. Because Luke is a reminder of Anakin and Palpatine wants to destroy Luke. He wants him gone. He wants him wiped off the board. And Vader steps in to be like, well, what if we turned him to the dark side instead? And the temptation of that is just too much for Palpatine to resist. So it all works together to create this relationship between Palpatine and Vader. One of the reasons I don't like The Force Unleashed very much is because there are lines in there that imply that at that point in the timeline, Vader is already planning to take Palpatine out. I see. And I understand that this is a thing with the Sith. Like normally, yes, the apprentice would constantly be scheming to take out, out the master. And Vader is doing that constantly all the time, but I didn't think he should be so open about it. Right. And I didn't think he should be so intense about it until Luke comes into the picture and Vader finally sees his opportunity. Here, we're seeing that relationship between Palpatine and Vader, what I think it should be at this point in the timeline, which is Palpatine will ruthlessly crush anything, anything, that gives Vader agency, and especially if it gives him agency in relation to Anakin Skywalker. I have now talked about this scene for longer than the actual- I was going to say, this is like a, the scene, it was only like 30 seconds long. But I do want to talk about this scene because uh, only one little bit was that when it cut to black, it cut to black almost a little too long. And I thought for like a hot like millisecond, I was like, is this the end of the show? I was so confused. I, I like, have the same thought. I was so taken aback. I was like, whoa. I was like, we didn't get any more Leia stuff. We didn't get any more uh, Kenobi stuff. I was like, what the fuck? And then it goes, oh, it's Alderaan again. Okay, whew. wipe my forehead. I was like, of course they're going to fucking finish the storyline out. <laughs> so Palpatine's makeup in this scene, very interesting to me because yeah. I love the Return of the Jedi makeup. 
for Palpatine. That is the Palpatine I grew up with. That is my favorite Palpatine. And it has perpetually annoyed me that the special edition uses, of Empire Strikes Back, uses the return, re, the Revenge of the Sith Palpatine uh, because they look very different. The makeups look different from each other. This one kind of blends the two together and it's really effective and I really like it. It's like some days he puts on his makeup. Sometimes he puts on a filter on his little hollow net like he does. Is is Sidious just like using different filters every time he I think he he might be Vader. I think so, because, you know, it's not consistent. So clearly he's trying out different ones to see which looks better on the hollow net. You know, he wants to like whenever he's on the news, he's got to look really good. You know, well, he does this to Ezra Mm. at the end of Rebels. He appears to him as like this kindly old man. That's right. He looks normal. And then you're just like, what's going on here? Yep. And the final, the final note I want to bring up. So a friend of mine watched Obi-Wan Kenobi recently, and he made the crucial mistake of sending me a Snapchat of him and his dog watching Obi-Wan Kenobi. And the scene he was specifically watching was the scene where Vader talks to Reva in the throne room. And this reminded me of a thing that I didn't bring up on episode three, but I want to bring up now. Have you noticed that Vader's throne room looks like the inside of Vader's helmet? Like, because it's, I guess it's because it's like red. Look at the the red slits. Yeah. Red slits where you look out looks like the red slots. And then everything else looks like the darkness inside Vader's helmet. So his throne, full ass, looks like the inside of Vader's in his, helmet. Like yeah, he's, like trapped, he's trapped in. He's trapped in his own helmet. Nice little detail. Nice little detail. Anyway, uh, that was five minutes of discussion on a scene that is forty-five seconds long. Yeah, that was way too much. <laughs> and you're going to cut none of it out. Nope. Because <laughs> all of that was good. Yeah. Welcome to Gold Squadron Gaze. Uh, Charles thinks about this shit way too much. Meanwhile, on Alderaan, Leia dresses herself along with a new accessory, Tala's gun holster. She meets with her parents to greet Kenobi, who has come back with Lola. Kenobi tells Leia that she shares qualities from her birth mother and her father. Before leaving, he tells her she can always reach out to him for help. I do like that Leia's dressing herself. In contrast to the fake Leia we saw in episode one. Right. Uh, who was being dressed presumably that's how leia would have previously been dressed she has more agency now she more independence has, she's grown she up more independence she's grown up she's right. dressing herself now not only does she put on tala's holster she puts on the gloves that obi-wan bought for her which was a cute little brilliant organa is such a great mom <laughs> she's like oh i don't know if i like this outfit choice okay fine but she's immediately like I love it. It looks great. Looks great on you. You're you're doing great, sweetie. You're you're doing great, sweetie. <laughs> well, it's almost like the like I, I I don't have this problem, but some people have this problem of having children. And sometimes you just have to let your kid dress themselves when they want to go to school. And if they're wearing a ridiculous outfit to go to school, you just kind of let them do it because you have to let children express their individuality. And it's kind of what's happening here is she's kind of showing like, hey. I'm getting my own style. I'm getting my own, I have my own thoughts and like, I kind of want to dress this way and this is what I want to do. Well, if we remember Brea Organa from the first episode, episode one, she was very Leia. I need you to do this. Right. I need you to do things. 
a certain way. And now she's like, you know what? I'm kind of digging this. Yeah, looks good. Looks good. Uh, this really all this being the culmination of Leia's arc. Leia has had her own arc in addition to Obi-Wan. Because when she walks out and she talks to her father and she fully accepts, because she was rejecting the call at the start right. of the series. She was rejecting the call. Now she's accepting it. and she, But she's accepting it on her term. When she tells him, if I'm going to do this, we're going to change things. Is the final culmination of, of this character growing into the woman that she will be, that we will see in Rebels, Leia, Princess of Alderaan, and A New Hope. And then Bale is like, then we'll change things together. I remember what happens to Bale Organa and my heart breaks into a thousand <laughs> little pieces. And I think about the fact that Bale and Brea were holding each other when the Death Star fired down onto the planet and their last conversation before the super laser obliterated everything around them was that they truly believed that Leia was still alive uh, despite having no indication after the Tandem V4 was destroyed. And I feel a lot of feelings inside my, this, and then the conversation between Ben and Leia broke me as a human person. <laughs> broke me as a human person. So good. Yeah, Ben steps out. I love that Ben and Bail are gonna have an interaction, like just a small one. Uh, meanwhile, Leia's over here putting Lola into the holster, Tala's holster. So perfect. So perfect. Makes so much uh, sense. When Ben bends down and he's talking to her about her mother and her father, did you catch what the score was doing? It's playing Leia's theme for the first time. So great. For the first time, canonically, if you're watching things in order, this is the first time Leia's theme appears. Oh, do they? They don't do it in. Uh, oh, you said canonically, like in order. Okay. Timeline if you are watching okay. things in order, timeline in order, chronological yeah. order. Yeah. This is the first time the Leia theme appears. Nice. I love. Well, I love the Leia theme ever since. Honestly, you know what? Hate on Rise of Skywalker all you want, but the trailer for Rise of Skywalker oh is one of the using Leia's theme in Rise of Skywalker trailer is one of the best trailers I've ever seen in my life. That is that was hell of a trailer. It was like, so on par good. with the Force Awakens trailer. Like I still love watching like the celebration reaction to that trailer, like on YouTube. Like I'll watch that. It's so good. Like, well, I don't know if you remember this, but do you remember that class we took together and we were in the big ass theater? It was the very first course we ever took together, and I don't think you and I had a conversation when we were in that class together. I think it was later on. But do you remember when the Force Awakens trailer came out and you put it up on the screen during a break? Oh, that's right. Do you remember you did that? Because you jumped on the computer because the professor, I'm not going to say his name, wasn't in the room. He was on a break. And everybody was talking about the trailer. And you right. like you hopped on the computer and put it on. I was like, let me just put it up on the big screen because we're all walking, it watching it anyway. Yeah. And that was the first time I saw it on the big screen was when you put it on there. I'm so good at, you know, just thematic moments. I'm the main thematic character energy of, of everybody's lives. Should should have probably realized at that point that the podcast was coming. It was coming. That was the inception right there. That was the inception right there when you jumped <laughs> that thing up on the screen. And I was like, oh, yep. yeah, this this person gets it. I, I love when... So in episode one, Leia was struggling with the fact that she's not... She didn't feel like a real Organa. Ben tells her a little bit about her mom and a little bit about her dad and says, 
you know, I can't tell you more, which I understand people were a little upset that Padme didn't get a name drop. She is mentioned in three episodes and visually shown in a fourth. So she's she's in this series. But Ben makes the example, you know, I you're 10. I can't tell you about your parents yet. Right. You're not really supposed to know, right? You're now. not yeah. supposed to know. It's it's a big deal who yeah. they are. And she kind of looks over at Bale and Brea as if to say, those are my parents. Right. Those are the qualities I got from them. Like, those are the, they're the same. Way. I got qualities from them. And I'm like, my heart has melted into my chest. Like it's, it's done. Well, it, it parallels so well with like, so the fact that like Leia has, I know, accepted herself essentially as a real Organa at this point. And, you know, Luke in a similar aspect, you know, he's a Lars. He's not really a Skywalker because like it's, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru are technically his parents, the same way that, you know, the Organas are Leia's parents. Like they are adoptive parents in a sense, but they're they're the real parents because they're the people who raised them. So it's just like a cute, like, it's just like a nice thing. Like, yes, they get qualities from their real birth parents that we do see, you know, they just happen to be like Anakin. They just happen to be like Padme. But I did read somewhere, uh, Leia... I don't know what this is, where where it is, but she figures out that Padme is her mother at some point. She has to figure it. I believe we were talking about this. Okay, because yeah, she like figures out. We're having a conversation, listeners. Again, Bradley and I do not just talk on the show. (laughs) Um, I do believe because in a comic she has Padme's gown. Gotcha. Okay. In one of the comics, she does have Padme's gowns, and that's a plot point in the Poe Dameron comic. So she figured it out at some point that Padme is. Speaking of things that break break your heart, uh, do you want your life ruined, Bradley? Sure. Why not? So Leia asks Obi-Wan if she'll see him again. And he says, you know, yes, if you ever need help from a tired old man. Assuming nothing else happens between this now and, and yeah. A New Hope, they will see each other one more time. It is when... Luke and Han and Chewie and her run towards the Falcon. Right. And Ben is dueling Vader and he looks over and he sees Luke and Leia and he turns back to Vader and raises his lightsaber. I'm going to watch a new hope probably later this weekend. Yeah. Uh, Again, just so that I can sob. Yeah. Why not? Why not ruin your life even more? Right. Right. I mean, this is why she ultimately names her kid Ben. Oh my God. I didn't even think about that. Did, I mean, did you know? Yeah. It was so weird that, like, why would she and Han name their kid after ben, a guy yeah. that she, she sent barely a message knew, to one yeah. time? Right. And Han, like, didn't even really like. Oh my God. That makes that so much better. And now it's like, yeah, obviously. That makes it even like it was, it was already like it made sense. Like in the context of like, oh, they you knew, could kind you know, of bend it as oh, it was a hero, and right? Was important. No, now after watching this show, you're like, holy shit! Like she had an actual relationship with this man, like to the point where she named her own firstborn child after him. Like that's wild. It's crazy. It's crazy how much this one six episode show has done to tie a shitload of canon together. Oh, I fucking love it. Fucking love it so good. 
We end on Tatooine, where Kenobi heads to Lars' homestead, where he meets Luke for the first time. And after he leaves, he is greeted by the Force ghost of Qui-Gon Jinn. So let's talk about the cave. The cave. Because the implication in episode one is that he lives in the cave. Doesn't appear to be that way anymore. So he kind of like moved Here's out. Here's what I think was going on with the cave, because... Either, I'm not sure whether or not he has the house before or after. I think he has the house somewhere around this point. It's a little inconsistent. I needed to check journals of Obi-Wan and I didn't. But here's how it can work if he does have the house. So Obi, one of Obi-Wan's major arcs in this show is he needs to learn to let go. He is holding on so tightly to Anakin. And that is projecting itself onto his relationship with Luke. This dude has a cave where he hangs out. Whether he has his own house or not, he has a cave where he hangs out to watch this family because he cannot let go of this kid's father. And so him cleaning out the cave is symbolic of him letting go, Mm. which is what he does in the next scene. So either he won't get the house until right after this, or he already has the house and he's never at it because he can't let go of Luke that much. I like that. That is my differing interpretations. A thing that annoys me about Star Wars fans is they'll look at something like, shouldn't he have a hovel around this time and go, that's a plot hole. That ding, sin, <laughs> fuck you, cinema sins. At, whereas I try to approach these things with, okay, these things happen. How do we reconcile them? Right. How do I make it work thematically? Uh, and so that is, is my explanation for the cave. He is wearing his New Hope outfit for now. He's going to change slightly. But initially in the scene, did you notice he is wearing the New Hope outfit? I noticed the robe, or not the rose, but, you know, his, like, shirt and shorts. Yeah. It's like that white right. kind of outfit thing. It's the brown yeah. under undershirt and then kind of the white robes that he wears in the New Hope. When he gets to the Lars homestead, did you do any research on this costume? Um, I saw somewhere it's like from the comic book or like the front of a comic book or something. So it goes deeper than that. Okay. That is a, I believe, sideshow collectible miniature that was a hypothetical that was not canon. He was wearing that exact outfit and the comics had him in that outfit as a nod to the figurine. Oh, okay. So they became canon in the comics This is a nod to the comics, which is a nod to the figurine that someone made. Story group. How much did you get paid for this series? Because I think you need to ask for more. The continuity of this is so good. I I think it's important. This scene is important. It's an important note to end on. It's going to be super important in the next scene. This is the culmination of Obi-Wan learning to become a Jedi again. And one of the most important tenets of being a Jedi is non-attachment. And in the High Republic, yeah, I'm on that shit again. There's a lot of discussion on what non-attachment means. And Cantum Psy, my beloved, talks about in the book Midnight Horizon with Yoda. And they talk about the idea that non-attachment means the idea of being able to let... Obi-Wan lost his way in part because he could not let go. He could not let go of Anakin, and that translated to Luke. And we find out in a second, he has not met Luke for 10 years. They have never met. But Obi-Wan has been charged himself with guarding this kid. He he couldn't trust Owen to do it. 
he was so attached to his failure with Anakin that he could not let it go. And in this scene, he finally lets that go. He tells Owen, you're in charge of protecting the kid. I'm going to back off. And more importantly, he lets go of the idea of Luke following in his father's footsteps. Right. He's like, let him be who he wants to be. He's Let him be a kid. We see when Luke is a teenager and he's grown up, he will pitch to him the idea of being trained as a Jedi again. But right now when he's a kid, he says, just let him be his own kid. Let him be your kid. Only once Ben lets go does he get to meet Anakin Skywalker's son for the first time. This show is so fucking good. (laughs) So much and so little scenes. So much, so much. Yeah, that's my next note, actually. I wanted to come back to the... Luke obviously knows who Ben Kenobi is. Right. So it it would make sense that they have met. And it would also make sense that Luke did not get to see Ben Kenobi in action. Mm. So Luke is surprised when Leia hears Ben Kenobi is on the Death Star. She's like, oh, hell yes. Yeah. (laughs) He's about to cut through this whole fucking thing to get to me. But Luke is like, obviously he just thinks... Ben is some crazy guy who lives out yeah. in the forest who comes by occasionally and is weird. He so, said, yeah, he's just some weird old hermit lives out there. Weird old hermit. Okay, dude. Who Especially gave if- me a toy when I was a kid that he doesn't mention in the new <laughs> But then again, why would you remember where you got the one? Why would you remember toy? eight years yeah. later? I don't right. remember which family member gave me X exactly. Yeah, book yeah, yeah. as but a gift. That's just a joke years like, ago. Nitpick, but uh then yes. At the conclusion of this scene, uh, yeah, Obi-Wan says the thing. Hello there. Thank you, Bradley. Our final little stinger is Obi-Wan is riding off into the sunset, and he is joined by the force ghost of Qui-Gon Jinn, which literally everyone called from minute one. Although I, I did think it was weird that I thought, you know, my, my guess was that he needed to talk to Qui-Gon to, like, give him the boost he needed to fight vader or something but i i thought it was interesting that they chose to be like no you can't talk to qui-gon until after you let go of vader or Anakin. you have to do your character arc first right and then you will be at peace with yourself and then you can it's, talk to me. it's not just a matter of connecting to the force he had to let anakin go he had to let luke go he had to stop hanging on and what do we know is what Qui-Gon is eventually going to teach him. He's going to teach him how to fully let go and selflessly transcend. So (laughs) I love, love that the first thing that Qui-Gon Jinn says to Obi-Wan Kenobi after damn near 25 years is a sassy quip. So perfect. So perfectly, man. I almost wanted him to say, hello there. (laughs) (laughs) Because when you think about it, that's Ewan McGregor and Liam Neeson returning to the roles. Yeah. Damn near 20 years, 25 years later. I want, yeah, I want him to also be like, "Mm, you got fat or you got old. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) the beginning of Game of Thrones, you got fat. You got fat. And then they laugh about it. They're like, ha ha ha. Yeah, I know. (laughs) No, I think, I think it was the perfect ending to it. Yeah, it was like a nice thing. Obi-Wan is now transcended, that he's gone through his character arc. He can now embark with Qui-Gon for the next couple of years uh, to learn to selflessly transcend and eventually surpass death. However, I don't think that requires a season two. I would agree with that. (laughs) 
Because <laughs> the don't way need to see Obi Wan meditating for five yeah, hours. I, I'm just like, I, how much could you really do of him being like, well, you have to go through the trials of doing blah 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 to be able to do what I did. And it's like, did you ever do that, Qui Gon? Because I'm pretty sure we you have didn't that, do that. We have that Yoda four part. As much as I would love to see Obi Wan Kenobi go to, I know canonically it's more a band. I don't care. As much as I would love to see Obi Wan Kenobi go to Korriban. And we're good. We're good. Yeah, because you know what they would try to do? They would be like, oh, well, you have to do these little trials to be able to do it. And then also randomly, you're going to go visit Yoda for no reason whatsoever. And you're going to go talk to him on Dagobah. And you're going to be like, yo, what up, Yoda? And then, you know what I mean? Like, it would just be like, no, let's just leave it. Like, let's just leave it up to interpretation that, yes, he teaches him how to do it. It would would be a fun one-shot comic to see them having a conversation. Comic book shirt. I, yeah. I don't think we need it in like a season two, but it was nice. It was nice to get one more cameo at the end from Liam. Oh, Mason. absolutely. I mean, and honestly, it was a long time coming and it was such an easy thing for them to do. It's like throw them on a green screen and just call it a day. And guess what they did? They threw him on a green screen and called it a day. <laughs> and it was great. He was there for filming for like probably four hours and they were like, all right, thanks so much, he was sir. In- Here's a million dollars. He was in the room. He was in the building for Tales of the Jedi. Exactly. He was doing his voice work. He's doing his voice work and they were like, hey. Hey, can you come over here real quick? Come on down the hallway. We'll slap a wig on you and some robes. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Uh, Bradley, what are your your final thoughts on this episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi? Um, Final thoughts. You know, I think they did a pretty good job of tying everything up. Like you said before, I really would have liked maybe more the side characters kind of tied up a little bit more. Or, you know, honestly, even it, I don't think you would have needed this, but maybe the Inquisitor and then the other Inquisitors or whatever. The, the, yeah, what the, the fuck happened to the fifth brother and fourth sister? That's what I'm saying. I think maybe I, I would have liked. Fifth brother to shows something. up in Rebels, but like, why were they there? I would have like I would have liked them to have something where it's like, oh, we need to go do this or something like that, and then like then they leave and something is happening that plot or whatever. You know, what I mean, just to set up Rebels or something. Not that they need to do it, but like, just give them something to do. Be like, well, we're gonna go after the. Because that's what we do. You know what I mean? Like, so he could have had like a little side thing. Have Vader like have Vader talking to them initially and and they say go after the path, and then Sidious interrupts them. Yeah, they could have been in that scene. They that could have been, been in perfect. Because as it stands, fifth brother and fourth sister just kind of fucking disappear when the Grand Inquisitor shows up again. And then the Grand Inquisitor is in that last scene, but he doesn't like do anything other than illustrate that. Vader's obsessed with Kenobi so yeah I don't know yeah it's it's gonna be interesting to see like it it's, does seem a little bit like oh they maybe forgot about them because they're not that important to the plot they're kind of just set pieces so it's kind of like here's hmm. here's the thing about Star Wars though is it's easily rectifiable because there's going to be tie-in material exactly and so. people will say oh you should have included it in the main thing you should have included it in the show yeah that would have been nice but also the show is called Obi-Wan Kenobi Right, and we had to spend twenty minutes resolving all the outstanding plot bits for Obi Wan Kenobi. Right, there's certain things. It's like mm, maybe yeah. we move over to like another thing to explain why this is the case because we're not going to stop. We're not going to stop the movie and it's stop the show in its tracks to be like. And then, like I, I, I only say as my thing. I just like. I wish we had gotten some closure on like Roken and Haja and them, only because I love those characters so much. 
I wanted to see where their arcs ended up or some indication of where they were going. Sorry, I interrupted your final thoughts. Please continue them. Oh, no, I mean, that that essentially was my final thought was that I needed a little bit of closure on that because theoretically, I mean, we don't get any closure on what happens with the fourth sister because she's not in Rebels. So it's like, what happened to her? She just yeah, we literally have no like, idea what happens to her. Right. We know what happens to the fifth brother, but we don't know what happens to her. So she just fucks off. Like, we don't know. Like, she's going off and doing shit outside. Maybe she turns good, too. We don't know. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I need something. That was, <laughs> that was sorry. I that was thunder in the background. Uh, that was my the Inquisitorius getting very angry that they weren't uh, their storyline wasn't the force. Nice the force that. itself expresses its its desire for a, a tie in exactly. novel about the fourth sister. No, true. Um, but anyway, so what was your uh, your final thoughts on this episode? So when they initially announced uh, the show and they had said there's going to be this big rematch between Obi Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader, I was like, one do we really need this? And two, they showed the concept art and it was them like fighting on like a fiery planet or whatever. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. Right. It's like another Revenge They're of gonna, the Sith. All it's over another again. Revenge of the Sith. They're going to value yeah. spectacle over anything else. Um, and it's just going to be there for like, let's bash these action figures together uh, in a cool place. I was so wrong about all of that. This was exactly what it needed to be as i said before it never felt like anything was missing but now that the story has been told i'm amazed it wasn't told before this point uh and it did it barely stepped on any toes like it's consistent with rebels it's consistent with fallen order it's consistent with the fucking comics it's consistent with time of death the short story from from a certain point of view like the the degree of care and love that went into this and it really shows in that final episode because it's just obi-wan and vader throwing rocks at each other but it's so resonant and so powerful also the fight choreography kicked absolute ass when they were fighting so good all right we will be back next week with a retrospective bradley go ahead and run the socials thank you for listening to gold squadron gates did Charles fuck something up? Email us and let us know at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at goldsquadgaze, and you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at goldsquadrongaze. Subscribe to us on YouTube at goldsquadrongaze, where we post this podcast as well as exclusive video content. Please join us next week and every week for another episode of Gold Squadron Gaze. As we're recording this episode, it is currently uh, 8.30 p.m. on a Friday night. Uh, our friends over in the Divas Podcast Network Discord, uh, which I am in, uh, they are currently having a game night. And they are currently playing Jackbox. And they are currently playing Quiplash. Have you played Jackbox, Bradley? Yeah, I have, actually. Okay. I'm going to try to to upload this image to you of a screenshot from their Quiplash that I want you to see. Okay. I thought you were sending me the link to the game and I was like, I mean, I guess uh, I could join, but uh, <laughs> I can't see the screen. So it's not going to be very fun. Uh, let me find it. Here we go. This is an actual screenshot from their, their game that they are currently playing. Oh God. What would you do with two free hours and a flamethrower? 
find Charles or burn the patriarchy? Well, I'm going to vote for find Charles. Somebody put find Charles as an actual, literally Chris posted this in the main channel of the discord and fucking tagged me as we were recording. There was points where I was clicking away. I was looking at that. I was like, I have, I have to show Bradley that with the thing recording on the air. So everyone bullies me all the time for speaking the truth. (laughs) The flamethrower is an ineffective fucking weapon. I'm so bullied all the time.